0: Hey to it. When I'm at
1: Ramah, I am home. Hey, Kulotra, this is Odelia I'm from Ramah in the Rockies, and I'm here talking to you with Rabbi Eliab Bach, the Rush of Machane Ramah in the Rockies. How's it going, Rabbi Eliab? Good.
0: Yeah, good to see you, Odelia.
1: <laughs> you as well. So to get us in the mood and give our listeners a chance to sort of check your vibe, um, I thought we could do a little speed round of icebreaker questions. Um, so when you're ready, we're going to go real fast here.
0: All right, let's do it.
1: Three, two, one. Favorite camp meal?
0: Uh, uh, grilled cheese.
1: Celebrity role model?
0: Celebrity role model. Uh, Michael Jordan.
1: Favorite wilderness activity?
0: Uh, canoeing, <laughs> which Dude. is hard to do. I don't
1: know
0: if you canoeing, I know.
1: Coffee or tea?
0: Uh, coffee and too much of it.
1: Mm. Spirit fruit or spirit vegetable?
0: Uh, how about the star fruit? Mm.
1: Go-to dance move? Uh,
0: that's, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up with the YouTuber background, so it's gotta be some sort of simpa dancing.
1: Uh, the horror. <laughs>
0: Can't shake that.
1: <laughs> Next book on your reading list?
0: uh next book on my reading list is uh the trashy novel that just came out by um what's his name the author of um uh crazy rich asians mm, um come on kwan this is his last name anyway, it's sitting on my bedside table my wife dina just handed it to me
1: okay trash book. Really
0: trash and i said great that sounds awesome Uh,
1: perfect for quarantine yeah actually
0: i got through the first um uh the the first three books of crazy rich asians during the 2018 election cycle it was like the greatest thing to do the month before the elections just read.
1: wow so now you're on to the next election cycle uh,
0: yes yes i encourage you read trash right now
1: (laughs) great number one quarantine so like the music you're most listening to at the
0: moment Oh, uh, I am, uh, my musical t- taste has not changed since uh, the late 1990s, uh, which is very <laughs> sad. Uh, so clearly the Indigo Girls, which also happen to be wonderful campfire tunes. Nice, nice. Look.
1: Good. <laughs> reality TV show you would join if you had to choose one.
0: Uh, you know what, Odelia, I couldn't even name a reality TV show being shown right now. How about this? Last time I turned on network TV. Uh, uh, my, my ton is ten years old. So yeah, about ten years ago actually would be okay.
1: the so the vibe is <laughs> trashy books but not trashy TV. Got it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. I'm not reading a ton of trashy books either, but at least I uh I at least I'm aware of what the trashy books are called and um you know <laughs> what should be on my list. And um uh, yeah. what I'm reading right now, by the way, which is speaking of ten year olds, is I just finished uh <laughs> took me all about a day. Uh, um Little House in the Big Woods, Laura English Wilder, because I bought it for my kids, they didn't want me to read it to them, and I absolutely love that story and I they just read, read it. <laughs> and every I always call my house a camp, uh, uh, a house like the one in the little house on the prairie and that's exactly oh. how I imagine my log cabin camp.
1: Oh that's sweet okay, so then actually that brings us perfectly to the last question of the speed round holiest or happiest place in camp
0: um, it would be anytime I'm looking up at. Prospector Mountain and the mountain right next to it, which is Buffalo Creek um, Mountain. I just am in awe. I never ever get tired of those two places.
1: That's really any place at camp, though. You just look up and you see the beauty.
0: That is true. (laughs) Like me
1: saying, like, my favorite place at camp is the
0: stars. (laughs) You know, I just got an email on uh, September 13th. A number of Girl Scouts who were there in the 70s and 80s are going to be camping in the area and they want to come by and visit the camp. And I we always have uh, no. these requests, and I always say absolutely yes, and the woman who wrote me today, uh, and I said, you know, you're absolutely welcome to come by, What, just want to make sure you guys know we had a fire burn down the lodge, because that lodge building was really important to a lot of the Girl Scouts, and she mm-hmm. said to me, we so appreciate you just opening your ranch to um, all of us. We're a lot older now than we used to be, um, and yet the land there is so special to us, and it's really our second, uh, it's, it's really our second spiritual home. And I thought that was so cool coming from Girl Scouts. I have no idea. My guess is they're not Jewish. At least on the yeah, it's not 70. even a
1: Jewish camp. Um, no.
0: But the fact is this land that we right now, you know, at Garber are part of, uh, are really, ta- we're, we're really caretakers of this spiritual property that has been the home for hundreds and thousands of people. We know the names of many of the Girl Scouts. We know the Gilmores that lived there before. And we don't know the names of a lot of the Native Americans that probably lived there before the Gilmores and before the, um, you know, before the white uh, um, uh, settlers moved in um, to homestead the area. But it really is like a truly, truly holy place that we have the opportunity to be part of every summer.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, So I guess one of the hallmarks of Ramaki's um, for our listeners out there who might not be so familiar is our several days long excursions to the wilderness, which we call Massa. Um, so I guess if we start at the beginning of your Ramah story, what would you consider to be your first personal Massah? Not necessarily rama related, but in your life, your first Massah.
0: When I, uh, growing up, I, as a kid, I spent a lot of time in the Boy Scouts and went to Boy Scout camp. And I remember starting, I, I think my first summer Boy Scout camp was going into sixth grade. And I remember doing, uh, it was my first backpacking trip. We probably walked all about a mile and a half. Uh, oh. But I remember feeling like it was such a giant accomplishment. And by the way, a mile and a half along a dirt road. So it wasn't like in the Rockies where we had tons of elevation. Right. But I remember this incredible sense of accomplishment. Um, and then going back for uh, three more summers and feeling and becoming a youth leader because Boy Scouts have a different model. And uh, just, how accom- just how accomplished you can feel when you just leave your creature comforts of home. In this case, an incredibly rustic lean-to. Uh, and go out on a little, you know, go out on a little journey, and I had many experiences in the Boy Scouts uh, that really were part of what inspired me as I got older to go on longer trips and then eventually to be able to start a camp so other kids could actually do what I was doing, but in a Jewish context.
1: So let's uh, let's dig into those. Like, if you could go back to your Boy Scout years, what are some experiences or elements that you feel were, like, the ones that you really want to hold on to and maybe what was more lacking for you uh
0: the the I, i'll give, I'll give a few in terms of what I would love to hold on to boy scouts does an incredible job of really uh, youth leadership so you start when you're 11 12 and you become a uh you become a patrol leader and you really can kind of rise up through the ranks so by the time you're 14 15 like you really are um a youth a youth leader and the you are an ex- arc. Uh-huh. yeah,
1: the aspirational arc, right?
0: Yeah, the exactly the aspirational arc of uh, the aspirational arc of camp. The other thing that I think uh, the Boy Scouts do really well, and we are—it's a constant challenge for us—is really also making sure within each skill, right? So the Boy Scouts uh, revolve around merit badges. The idea is like here are the twenty-five skills you need to know in order to earn your camping merit badge, your archery merit badge, your hiking merit badge, whatever it is and it's it's laid out in black and white and um and you can earn it at any point from your first day in all the way right before your 18th birthday uh, we've tried iterations of this over the years at camp and uh, we've never really been able to get it down to like just do this versus all the other stuff and i think part of that is we have so many creative thinkers at camp i'm speaking of one right now uh we don't like to be told necessarily like exactly what to do and exactly uh what to teach and, uh, and there is this tension that we are constantly in. we actually had- um, <laughs> Calling on my authority to, issues, I get it. You no, know, which actually leads to one of the things that this, this summer, had we actually operated, Julie and I had really spent a lot of time based on feedback from campers and staff, really reimagining our massa program about um, what, what a Ramah in the Rockies massa has to look like from Ilanot, our youngest dot, all the way up to Jolie. Our oldest, data. Now, clearly, our, Il- our Ilano friends are not going to be, you know, somebody 14,000 foot mountains or sleeping at the base of the continental provide like our older khalutsim are, like our older campers are, but there need to be some core elements um, and, uh, in, in each Masa. And one of these actually came from something I did with the Boy Scouts, which is the idea of a solo, which is the idea that every Raman the Rockies' Masa needs to have some time where you are just alone with your thoughts in an age-appropriate um, age way. So I remember as a Boy Scout, when I was 13, of uh, going with one other person, uh, we were given directions on a map of where to go. And we hiked for a few miles as part of a leadership training program that we did. Maybe I was, I was 13 or 14, I don't remember which one. Um, did they ever check on me? But to this day, I actually have no idea. But um, it was pretty darn intense, just like being given directions. And to go out somewhere on the scout reservation and set up tents on your own have no contact with uh, any you know any sort of grown-up and i think about this in terms of like what we can do uh, in in the solo experience or so elano kids this summer had we actually operated one of the things we were going to really uh, set as an absolute standard is that every everyone has a chance to spend um some time alone so in elano that might mean separated throughout ramah valley for an hour um, just sitting in a you know a three square foot um, area versus jolie it might be actually like sleeping 500 meters or 500 um, or 1500 yards from the next person just alone under your shelter overnight but like that being in the wilderness without all the noise of other people around you can be really profound and again it, it really started from my experiences in the scout right in the scouts so i realized how awesome that could be
1: yeah, I remember it being one of my most impact, like most intense experience and also one of the best experience of Jolie when we did our Yeah, we, we've had
0: many a college essay written about. Um,
1: oh yeah, um, oh yeah, oh, yeah. big time. Children. My college essays were about Massa as well. <laughs> yeah. So if we go back to the chronological camp story, um, skip ahead from Boy Scout to Wall Street, and then from there to Sedalia, Colorado. How did you make those leaps?
0: <laughs> uh, we only have an hour here. Now, if you're just joking, guys, it's going to be a lot, uh, a, a lot shorter than that. To make a very long story short, um, uh, because I never actually went to Jewish camp as a kid, I started working in Jewish camp after 11th grade at Camp Vermont in New England. Um, why they would hire me, glory only knows. But uh, it worked out quite well for me. Happy offline to tell everybody who was being hired as a 17-year-old in camp uh, ways to. Um, uh, make the system work in your favor. I happen to be a pretty responsible 17-year-old. There were many of my friends who might not have been as responsible. Uh, anyway, I just absolutely fell in love with that Jewish camp environment. and went back after high school. I split my summer after high school working in a U.S. Senator's office and a camper mom. Went back again and just kept going back every single summer in college. I just, you know, everyone told me you need to get an internship, you need to get an internship. And I was never actually wanted to because I felt like I was working my butt off in college and like the summer was time to go out and have fun. And it was all leading towards getting what I call a uh, what I called then a real job, which clearly meant you needed to either go into consulting. I went to a school where there were two professions. You actually three. You could go. You could be pre-med. Four. You'd be pre-med. You go to law school. Um, and if you weren't going to do either one of those, there was something called consulting, you know, um, uh, uh, consulting like a you know, McKinsey or Boston uh, consulting group. And, um, uh, or you can go to, um, or uh, you could go work on Wall Street. So I chose uh, one of those four. I <laughs> had, had a blast. And um, summer of 2001, I um, took some time off with a friend of mine and um, went hiking and actually said, I'm going to figure out a way to always, um, always find a way back into camp. And, um, and I did in the following summer. I, um, I, took some, I took a leave of absence just for a few weeks to work at a, at a summer camp, not a Ramah camp. And I mm-hmm. discovered a part of myself that was really missing. I then spent the next little while interviewing people about from all walks of life um, who I had access to and trying to understand like what made them tick and what brought them happiness. And I spoke to people who were like one or two years out of college and people who were 20, 30 years out of college and in between people who were making huge amounts of money, people that might probably were not making huge amounts of money. And wow, perhaps the most one important- One of those
1: stuff. copy chat projects where you go and like meet all the different people who might- Oh my God.
0: Them. I think informational interviewing is awesome. Like who doesn't yeah. like talking about themselves?
1: Exactly. Directly? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, uh, and so one of the things I discovered was I never, I didn't meet a single person who earned enough money, including my boss at the time who the year before, I think brought home something or somewhere around $15 million. Maybe it was 10, I don't know. But like it was a lot, um, you know, corporate lawyers, I, you know, teachers, and what I found was the people who were happiest were doing things they were passionate about. Now, don't get me wrong, some of the people who were happiest that I met um, and spoke with truly were earning huge amounts of money, and that is absolutely incredible. And they should go on and do that. Um, what I realized was that I wasn't motivated by, even though I was working, you know, on Wall Street, I wasn't motivated by money in the same sort of way. Um, I loved it and still love it. Um, but whether I earned a thousand or, you know, earned 500, it wasn't like going to materially affect what I was doing day in and day out. And um, make a long story short, I, I, I realized that I really wanted to work in education. Like that's what I was most passionate about. And over the course of the next little bit, I transitioned into rabbinical school full time. In rabbinical school, my absolute dream was to figure out a way to bring together this experience in the Boy Scouts experience from Camp Ramah, and uh, lo and behold, uh, um, there was a group of people working on this idea of an outdoors camp, and I joined the committee uh, to be part of the outdoor camp uh, committee, and uh, my job on the committee was to find a director. So I searched high and low, and could only find one person who was qualified and interested in doing that job. I happen to have still been in rabbinical school, And so at the beginning of my last year of rabbinical school, I put forward my name, and uh, I guess the rest is history.
1: Wow, truly a chalutz. Um, For the listeners out there, um, at Ramakis, we call our campers chalutzim instead of chanichim, pioneers instead of campers.
0: Um, So, wow. Which, again, was a nod to both the fact that we were the first Jewish community in this area, a nod Mm -hmm. to the fact that there were... um, you know, pioneers who first settled that land, I should say first um, white people who settled that land were known as pioneers. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously there were native Americans who lived there uh, before and, and the halutzim, this idea came from like the halutzim of uh, the first pioneers of the Israel.
1: Zavayim, yeah. Settled,
0: yeah, and we were creating our own Jewish community in the mountains. So in a place that for those who were part of us that first summer, like it took a heck of a lot of imagination to think of a functioning, Ramah summer camp on this site because it was pretty darn rustic and uh and um had not been taken care of in many many years when we first started the camp.
1: So share a little bit from that summer what were some of the crazy hectic experiences? Uh
0: yeah most if you ask me from that summer the um most memories I had had to do with sewage because sewage went up and down (laughs) right that gravity would pull sewage down but that summer uh, we found out sewage goes up too. Yeah we didn't um we, we designed a bathhouse by committee. Um, I don't know if you're familiar, but a, a camel is a horse. Uh, uh, they say a camel is a horse designed by committee. And um, <laughs> this bathhouse came in at like three times the amount of what we actually wanted, to, wanted because every committee member kept adding one more, more. So we right. decided we're not going to build like a $750,000 bathhouse. It's just, that's just not right. Instead, we got a portable toilets, which sounded like awesome. We signed a contract, have them pumped once a week perfect what could possibly go wrong uh well what actually went wrong is a company with uh with whom we signed a contract didn't realize how high up on the mountain we were and they just basically said we're not going to service you but meantime we have a lot of campers who are coming and like they need to poop and so they continued pooping and uh Um, despite all of our best efforts um yeah it got kind of ugly that first summer and we all remember and they would come clean us out like late at night it was it was bad Anyway, but we got through, and now we have uh, bathhouses, which worked out really well. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But really, uh, I think I think what most stands out from that summer, other than um, other than uh, the poop, is really the sense that we were building something like really tremendous, and every single person had a hand in creating that special thing. So the song that we sing now, that you know people just like belt out, you know, me forever was started by. Um, two people, Ita uh, Paskind, at that time actually Rabbi Ita Paskind, and um, Steven Feinberg, Aroshi like they just said, we need a song, boom, let's get a song, and traditions around havdalah, traditions around, um, you know, you know uh, uh, traditions around how we even refer to ourselves, how we wake up, right, the whole idea of like bo-bo, bo-ker-to, um, it all just started then, and and we knew that we were going to, that we were seeding a camp that would hopefully be with us for many, many, many generations. And that every person from the youngest Kaluts all the way up to me, and the Sebit in between, um, we were all in this, um, we were all in this together. And uh, they'll probably, you know, the reality is, and ask anybody who's been a part of starting a camp there, it's very rare that you have that energy ever again. It's almost impossible to have that same sense of You know purpose and energy and knowing that every single one of us our actions are going to um you know are going to affect uh the final product for years and years to come
1: i think that's a beautiful thing about uh, ramaki's culture that really stays i feel like maybe it has to do with the backpacking i think in the wilderness you really have a sense of everyone's walking in on the premise of we are all going into the wilderness unguarded and we are each crucial to the group all responsible for the group um, so maybe it's that that instills it in us, but I yeah. definitely still
0: it's feel it. It's been an ongoing challenge and I'd say as we get, it's a double-edged sword having alumni come back and become seven members and then graduate. On the one hand, like <laughs> incredible, what more could we possibly ask for? And I truly, truly love the fact that we now have actually, our first Russia Eda have actually moved on in, in life and our first Rasha Eda who actually were at camp in 2010, um, like started as college senior 2010, gone all the way through and now, you know, I have already graduated college and on to quote unquote that real world. Hope it's going well out there, folks, uh, uh, for you. Um, so on the one hand, that's amazing. On the other hand, we never want to be the place where it's like, oh, we do this because it, it's tradition, right? We need tradition and we need change. And so one of the things you might, I mean, you've been part of our, uh, you were a Halut San at Sevet member, hopefully you're a future at Sevet member as well, is you know, like we try really hard that one third of our Sevet are always first time walking onto that range. So maybe they came from a different camp. Maybe they're part of our Chavrei Mishlachat. Maybe they're like people in college for whatever reason, just don't want to go back to their camp. Or what I truly love are hiring 19, 20, 21 year olds who have never set foot in a Jewish camp. And we get them and on-
1: old ex-boy scouts.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, um, <laughs> it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome to see kind of like the creativity, the life, the energy that they bring forward. Uh, into our community and that in addition to the fact listen when you're outdoors you got to improvise you can go on the same uh you can go on it's been years since i've led trips but when i used to lead uh uh, canoe trips at Rama in canada like i did i did probably the same trip 10 times maybe i don't know seven to ten times i probably led very similar trails um or routes and they were never, ever the same. But the kids are different. The weather is different. The you know the, the scenery around you. Every year, Prospector is different. This summer, it was wicked, wicked hot at camp. If you remember last year, rainy. 2017, insane, like incredibly, incredibly rainy. And it just right. makes the whole experience uh, different. And that's part of the magic of like being in the outdoors and exposed to the elements.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is like a radical, like improvisation, initiative, like it's really an energy of creation at camp that I really love. So I guess yeah. going off of that um, I think one of the most um, campy things is that we're sort of like half very intentional about the things that we do and half very spontaneous and like improvisational and go with the flow. So I was wondering if story time you could share maybe one of your most favorite stories of a time that you did something intentional that really went like with intention and you, and you, it was a, it was a success intentionally and then a spontaneous crazy story, which I feel like those, are, there are many of those, but if you could pick one.
0: <laughs> in I, in the remod- intentional, you know, something we did, uh, starting two years ago was, uh, I, well, I guess, I guess it switched point after the fire, but, um, um, the, the idea of like dancing every day. I've always been I always knew at our camp that that our program would have a greater impact if we can increase the amount of song and dance that we have. Now, the reality is no one had ever called up Ramon the Rock and be like, I'm looking for a top level performing arts camp. Like, should I send my child here? And I'm I'm like, no, (laughs) like, (laughs) no, we are a camp that sings a ton. But if you want like formal vocal training, then this is not the place for you. Or if you're looking to like really improve your dance moves, this is not the place here. I don't know if you see me, but I have two left feet. So, but I dance all the time. And well, over the course of the past few years, we have really been working with, um, uh, what we, who we call, uh, Zumba Gali, Um, and we've really worked to like improve the amount of dance that we have at camp. You might remember once upon a time, we played tons of English music. Ah, the worst, right? And that took about two years of fighting that, um, to get rid of it for the, uh, you know, 90, 99%. And, um, and I think now, like kids come to our camp and they really leave with a core uh, a core um, number of dance songs and dance moves that they can, uh, you know, that they can do. And the dance brings us together. And hopefully, whether you are actually an incredibly talented dancer or someone like me who is completely, completely um, uh, uh, terrible when it comes to dancing, that uh, you feel comfortable just getting up there and you know expressing yourself in that in that sort of way and that didn't just happen like it was really really intentional around like how we how we were able to make that happen um i would say most of the other like improvised stories uh, at camp as you know we have crazy storms like it is the weather in the rockies is just i mean how do you even describe the weather in the rockies right it's like <laughs> beautiful sunshine like the world is going to end with thunderstorms and then like beautiful sunshine is though like what just happened? And there have been many, many a time that I can remember having extended shirah sessions in the Hadar Ochel, um, just because, you know, we are in lightning protocol and we might go on for 10 minutes or 20 minutes. I remember uh, last year, uh, the first Shabbat of second session, if you recall, like we dismissed the, the Ilanot kids and then the heavens opened up and there we were on, uh, you know, there we were on Friday night and just singing and dancing like crazy and there was absolutely nowhere that we could go because we were we were stuck to, i think actually happened i think there were actually two stories i'm combining it one because one happened the beginning of second session the first night i think the second night of camp because i actually remember the music was on and the other one happened on a friday night um, and in my mind they're kind of like and i'll tell you here, here's a great story from our first summer we played this <laughs> we played this amazing game that first summer in 2010 of capture the counselor. And before we really had the walkie-talkies,
1: my system. favorite um, game.
0: Um <laughs> and that first that first night uh, that, that, that that first summer, we captured the counselor. We all all the counselors and so capture the counselor, what happens? Your counselors go and hide, and the kids have to find them. And so the counselors all were hiding. And we only had a few walkie-talkies. Uh, so I had one probably, um, I don't remember who else had who, who else had the other, but we were definitely good hiding spots. And what happened? lightning protocol we didn't have the rum coal that we have now or we can now so feel a loudspeaker. so we had about an hour and change period where we actually couldn't account for all of the kids because i mean immediately i and the others got into the, the cars and we started driving on trying to, you know collect everybody but um you know we had matched up our older campers our oldest campers that first summer only going to 10th grade uh we kind of trusted hope that they were taking care of the younger ones but definitely uh, uh, we have not played Capture the Counselor in that sort of way since uh, since 2010, and nobody forgot that evening, because it was, it was wild.
1: <laughs> yep, always the most memorable moments on Masa as well. <laughs> um, so I guess let's get into that for a little bit, disaster management. So... That's something that happens regularly in the Rockies, thinking about the safety precautions and procedures and all of that. I think that's like very salient. Um, and then also we did go through an actual immense disaster as a camp uh, with the fire. So um, I guess what, what lessons have you taken from that? And maybe to make it more relevant to the time that we're going through at the moment, um, what, have, what, of the, what lessons of those have brought you through, I guess, the COVID-19 madness uh, to where you are now?
0: At the end of the day, for all of the, you know, the stories that I can tell, safety is our number one concern. And when it comes down to safety, you've heard me say this: it's about making good decisions, like taking time to think and making good decisions. We trust you, and then don't be stupid. You remember that also that we uh, yeah. that we say to our art seven. And the same thing applies for us. So starting honestly, even this morning, I am ten months away. We're ten months away from opening camp. We're already beginning to think about safety for opening day next summer. We are constantly planning. We are constantly doing different types of scenarios. I have no idea what is going to be on June 1st of next year. The only thing I can say is that the more we plan and the more scenarios that we are ready for, the better the likelihood is that that we will be ready on June 1. So whether it is for Corona that we're in right now, whether it's for lightning and you know uh, lightning, whether it's like a broken bone or a lacerated liver um, uh, or a fire, um, we need to plan. And you need to kind of like go back to those, you know, make good decisions. Uh, make, uh, make make good decisions. We trust you. Don't be stupid. And hire the one of the most important things we do is really in the hiring process is hire people who we have tried, if I don't have personal faith that a counselor will be able to help me in my moment of need, then that counselor cannot stay at camp. And we have let people go and we have not asked people back because they show us that they do not have the ability to make good decisions. Um, And you can't really train people to do that. Like either you got it or you don't. Uh, And um, yeah, it's just constant. I can tell you the fire, the for the fire like that the fire happened on august 2 a.m august 7th 2 ish a.m august 7th august 6th we had we done our last fire drill which was because every uh the opening of every session we always do a fire drill and um we had just done one that morning and that's um green. you know that's and and we go through the, and you just kind of make it real, like what'll happen and if scenario a as I say in the fire drill, we gather here. And if we can't gather here, we gather there. And if we can't gather there, we gather in place number C. In the case of the fire on August 7th, 2017, area A, off limits. A, it was night, and B, the place was on fire. So immediately people knew. It wasn't like anybody had to say, oh, go to place number B. Immediately people knew, you go to B. And B, we weren't sure it was gonna remain safe because the fire was moving so quickly. So we then immediately knew. I said, let's move to the third area. Boom, They already everybody's already down um putting that putting that in in place uh so that's that's i think the probably the most important thing to do is just constantly plan and set time because let's face it like you always have better things to do than scenario planning and we've been doing this since year one of setting time uh weekly and monthly to review our plans to uh to to share with others uh and then hone it in for what's going to work based on that you know based on that summer So
1: actually, on that note of reflection, um, we're now in the month of Elul, um, and I wanted to ask you, typically the month of Elul falls like conveniently right after camp, so you get to spend this sort of period of reflection really going over whatever whirlwind of a summer just happened. Um, But how are you taking this year's Elul, and maybe have any of the differences between this year and past year actually proved valuable for your reflection in this month, or...
0: I gotta tell you, uh, typically Elul, we spend, well, the first, the last two weeks of August, usually I'm completely offline. Then I come back on sometime early September, which typically lines up with the end of Elul. We call, and something we've now done for 10 years uh, uh, is we call and email every single family who sent their kids to camp and um, speak with many, many of our uh, SEVAC members. At the end of each summer, I'm left with a binder of comments from separate members. So like I, you know, the, your feedback to your Roche last year, like I read and I'll take notes on it. Um, and over the course of really what ends up being hundreds of conversations by phone and by email, I were able to really reflect on what it is that we have learned from the previous summer. And typically that actually takes us through, our goal is always by the end of Simchat Torah to really be done. With, uh, with that process. And then we'll meet as a team and kind of like go over, like here are the things that I'm hearing, here are the trends, here are the themes that emerge from what was uh, both good and bad, because there's a ton of good and there's always things to improve upon. And um, let's, uh, you know, here are some things that we can do moving forward. And I typically write an email that goes out within about a week or two after Simchat Torah of, you, you know, uh, basically describing what it is that we have learned. And I, I believe that you can basically only have, as an organization, uh, two to three big goals that you're gonna be working on. Obviously you have little goals, like I gotta, you know, submit this form and I have to file that, uh, you know, I have to file that thing and write this thing, but like big transformational goals. If you get two, you're really good. If you do three, you're like outstanding, anything more than that, I just don't think is, is, uh, is possible. And um, and then we really focused our work that year on achieving those goals. What I mentioned about Masat as an example that we really like—that's really where we're putting a lot of our work for, 20, uh, for 2020. You know, um, that came from just hearing feedback from Sebets, from Chalutzin, uh, from our own observations, like places that we really needed to like nurture in order to build back up into uh, what we really uh, can see it. So where are we right now? Uh, honestly, I'm a little concerned. I'm going to start actually tomorrow making phone calls to parents. It's more going to be checking in uh, with them, seeing how their kids are, uh, seeing what worked and didn't work for them this summer. But you know, yes, we ran virtual camp. Thank you for being a part of that. I would never have to do virtual camp again. Um, but I think it's going to give us a sense of like how committed are people to ensuring that we really are going to be able to reopen uh, next year. Uh, and I, I at this moment, uh, I am saying that we have our. You know, 2021 program ready to go because we had so much done for 2020. Obviously, as we go ahead and start hiring seventh members, things are going to have to change. Um, But at least for right now, our programmaticals for next year are going to reflect what we had hoped to put into place um, for this summer. And I'm open to changing that based on, you know, who based on who comes.
1: Yeah, has anything changed, COVID? like, has COVID-19 at all, this whole quarantine situation, shifted those goals at all, or is it, is it, well, basically- we're just
0: open to what we, what we've seen is your, um, uh, man plans and God laughs, um, and I really believe that, like, yeah, I have, like, our MASA program as an example, I really want to be able to offer the array of masa oath that we have, and, and also, um, in the way that we had planned for the summer, but admittedly, that, that would mean that person, I don't know, Yonatan would be on a massage, on the first massage with Yonatan and um, Yonatan and Bensi and Shira. And on the next one, uh, he would be on a massage with four other kids. Is that going to be realistic next year? I don't know. Are we going to have to pod in groups of eight or 10 or 20? Wow. Maybe. Uh, are we going to, like, I? we have a scenario right now where we will have kids living in Ramah Valley, where we would have kids living in the upper, upper cabans, where we will have. Um, we actually will divide our camp to five different unique pods and just run basically five different camps on the same property, but never actually bring everybody together. Right now, we know we can do that. Are we going to need to down the spring? I have no clue.
1: <laughs> wow. So if you think past this current craziness, what would you say is your long term vision for the future of Vermont
0: Long term, my my dream would be for kids to be able to come in at a, um, to begin camp at a little younger age um, and really see themselves becoming part of the Edgar Brahma community uh, to really gain way more hard skills in the outdoors um, than we are, I would say the baseline we are teaching right now, to be able to come back to be part of that seventh and then take a lot of the, um, the environmental values and, the soft skill life values that you get by being in the outdoors and use them throughout their lives as active members of the Jewish community. So I don't really care if we are producing the next world class rock climber. Like if we do great, if not whatever, what I really hope that kids will be able to get from rock climbing is the idea they have to be able to literally take like a leap of faith and that you might fall, you might scratch yourself, but you'll be able to get up. And um, get right back on it, or you know, climb or or hiking. So, must I just don't believe that there's a machine like getting lost and not knowing where you are. Getting lost is when you have to call in search and rescue. Okay, that is like you are really lost, you're beyond help. Not knowing where you are at this moment, that's kind of just like what happens on any time you go into the back country. That's where we are a, right now in the world. Yeah, like you don't know where you are, but you know, you kind of can figure it out. I know I'm somewhere yeah. on this mountain. Am I? Am I two, 2,000 feet up or am I, you know, 2,020 feet up? I don't know, but we'll figure it out. Keep hiking or keep hiking, keep hiking down. And that's that's more of the soft skills. But I think we also need to work harder on the hard skills. Um, something that I really hope that and was, again, a goal of ours this summer was really to refocus our energies on making sure that we were teaching more of those hard skills. That Our masa'ot are not just... Um, let's have you know, um, Tripper or Delia take us out and like have her cook for us and set up tents and hang everything. Like really uh, learn those, you know, really, really learn those skills. And and some years I think we do that really, really well. Other years I, I think as a as a collective we don't necessarily um, do it as well. And and the last the last thing I'll say is just like long term, is my, and I've seen a lot of this uh, during COVID. Um, although it's interesting because when I look at seventh members. Um, when I look at our, um, when I look at our years right now, like 11 years under our belt, I see some years where the Seventh has really stayed together as a group, or there's been like core members that have stayed together. And some years where it's like phew, people sort of like disappear into the ether. And I know for a lot of our Seventh members that this will be the last community that they are part of um, for, will feel that deep sense of connection sometimes for, um, you know, at least a number of years afterwards, because it's sometimes harder, like, as you're finishing college, kind of find that place of like deep, deep um, connectedness. And I want people, like I absolutely love um, when people remain connected to Ramon Rockies, and I want that, um, I, I want that to happen. And for them to continue being energized by our vision and by our mission. I love when people who are 23, 24, 28 at this point, like come back and visit for a Shabbat, even though they might not recognize who the people are they can still kind of like feel those tunes from when they were or from when they were seven um and because as i mentioned it's the song and dance that i really think like remain with people god willing for the rest of uh, for the rest of their lives
1: it's beautiful yeah um so i guess to wrap it up um i'll ask a couple of questions that put us in the frame of the vermont community at large i guess um so Maybe let's start with who in the Ramah worlds do you think has influenced you the most? Um, and like what lessons have you taken from other camps or from the community at large?
0: From other camps, you know, this is my fifth Ramah camp. I started off at Palmer, worked a year at Nyack, uh, worked at um, Ramah in Canada, and then at Ramah Berkshires, and here I am at Ramah in the Rockies. So I, I would say there are a lot of things that we do at Ramon the Rockies because of what I learned from other camps, and there are things we do in Ramon the Rockies because, frankly, we're, we're not, not
1: to do those
0: was <laughs> <laughs> like so bad. I was like, we're definitely definitely not doing that <laughs> ever, ever. Um, yeah, so I've learned a lot just from you know being part uh, myself having worked at different Ramon camps. Uh, mm-hmm. The Ramon directors are really an incredible group of of people. And I would also put, like, I would say the Ramah leaders. So in leaders would also be the board, like board members would also be assistant directors, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, mm-hmm. such a helpful group. So one of the best pieces of advice I got from uh, after a fire actually came from a leader, um, a board member at Ramah in Wisconsin, who basically said, like, set your sights like way, way higher than, you know, than where you are. And directors from the other camps, assistant directors, program directors, I've learned so much uh, from them throughout. Uh You know, if I had to name like a name, uh, probably Rabbi Mitch Cohen, who's the National Ramah Director, probably had the largest single influence on me, including the fact, and he will deny the story, um, I happened to meet him uh, when I was, I walked into the National Ramah office when he was running uh, Camp Ramah in Canada. He happened to be sitting there. Uh, I walked in to actually meet a different Ramah Director to go to a different Ramah camp. And Mitch um, met me and uh, said, you should come to Ramah Canada. I didn't even know about Vermont, Canada. I didn't know anything about their trip program, and uh, that really like set me on a completely different course. Uh, when you go, is that through- where the
1: canoeing came from?
0: Exactly. Yes. Uh-huh. I had never. Um, <laughs> I didn't even know what portaging or America portaging even meant because um, I'd <laughs> done river canoeing, which is what you do in upstate New York in the Boy Scouts, uh, and yeah, lake canoeing is a whole different thing. And I would say my mind was blown. No, you and you know, I mean, you know, I, I mentioned before when I was in rabbinical school, it was Rabbi Mitch Cohen who invited me to be part of this committee. It was Mitch who said, Elliot, you're in charge of finding the director, and ultimately I have to sell myself to him. So I owe him a lot here.
1: Wow. And then passing the baton, I guess, who in the Ramah world have you influenced the most, or where do you see your influence in the world?
0: Oh, wow.
1: Sorry, that's a tough question. Yeah,
0: that's, uh, <laughs> you know, I like to pretend I'm, I'm somewhat modest here. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I I assume I'm hoping, uh, and really, from all modesty, I I really hope that there have been many many staff members who have looked up to me as a leader, and some of them are continuing to run our world. Most present company, yes.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> and for them to kind of see, like this is one form of I think I, I I I exemplify one form of leadership. I'm constant. I'm a work in progress, and um and think I. You know, I, I have plenty to learn, and I have many, many mentors out there. Uh, and each year, I, I each year I like to set a goal for myself of how I'm going to lead and um, can do and can do things differently. So I hope that there have been many separate members, and many chalutzim, who looked up to me in that way. Uh, if I had to name, like, listen, uh, one small things, Ramah movement. Uh, I started this camp with Sarah Shulman, who is now Rabbi Sarah Shulman, who's the director of Ramah in NorCal. And those first few summers, we worked side by side, and um, she obviously has gone on to start Rama Norcal. Never been there, uh, but I do know factually that I am her first, uh, the, the only Rama that she has worked at, other than Ramon Norcal, was Rama in Colorado. So, <laughs> so you
1: have to be her Rama influence.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I perhaps had a tiny uh, bit of influence in her, in, in them starting in, in 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 the way that she uh, started Norcal.
1: Well, I can say personally that you're definitely on my short list of leaders I admire. Um, so thank I'm you.
0: I'm honored. Thank you.
1: <laughs> and thank you for this interview. I'm um, going to let you go because we went a little over time. But um, thank you so much.
0: My pleasure, Zelda. Thank you. Yeah. Stay safe. And we uh, Shalom. And thank you for tuning in to Kolbarama. If you're looking for more information about Camp Rama overnight and day camps, Israel programs, year round events, and virtual offerings, please visit our website at www.camprama.org.